Mark chapter 15. This is Images of Jesus, part number 41. Uh, You'll be glad to know if you're tired of being a Mark that there's 43 parts. However, part 41 will last several weeks. So, (laughs) Tough break for you. Actually, not a tough break for you because we'll be spending these next couple of weeks, uh, don't know if it'll be just this week and next week or an additional week or whatever, Diving deeply into the uh, the ramifications of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we'll be talking. I'm going to use a a scary word here. We'll be talking a lot of doctrine, uh, but don't be scared. Uh, we'll be talking a lot of really cool doctrine, and, and all of the just the 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 result of. Christ's death on the cross. Uh, they're important weeks for us because we will we'll be able to, to dive together into understanding the extent of what happened on the cross and then help us to be able to articulate it. If we are to be salt and light in this world, we really need to know the, and not just know and understand, but be able to articulate what happened for us and to us when uh, when Jesus died on the cross. And so we'll, we'll get into the text in, in Mark 15 and then dive into some Hebrew stuff a little bit later that, that talks deeply about uh, one particular doctrine tonight that we'll talk about, the priesthood of all believers. So let's, let's pray and ask God to, to open our minds as we study His Word. Father, I thank You so much for Your Scripture that we get to to read and to study and to have your nature and your love for us revealed. God, it's a beautiful thing to get to hold your words spoken to our hearts in our hands. It's a great gift to hold and own Bibles, God. They contain your words to reveal your nature to our hearts and to our lives, God. And be with us tonight as we study these words tonight, Father. I pray that the, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be uh, without error tonight and we would closely look into what it is that you have for us and, and what actually came to pass for our lives with your death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for him. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21, we're going to uh, believe verse 39. Yeah, verse 39. Uh, I'm going to go real quick through these verses and then spend a lot of time talking again about the the results of this. Um, Remember, we've talked about Mark's original audience was the Roman Christians, and Mark's writing style is is a fast-paced, quick-moving style. This is the the shortest of, of all four of the gospel accounts of the actual death from the time Jesus is nailed to the cross, actually from the time Jesus is walking down the, the way of suffering, nailed to the cross beam until he breathes his last breath. This is the short, Mark's is the shortest uh, uh, story in, in that, that area. So uh, the words are quick and very matter of fact and very quickly uh, Mark is getting the information out and in this quick fashion. Again, this is an image of Jesus being crucified. Verse 21. 
And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And he kind of inserts this parenthetically, verse 25. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And they were fulfilled, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, He was numbered with transgressors. Verse 29, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you, should, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Mark is painting the picture here of people just verbally ridiculing and mocking him after they have physically beat him, and now they're trying to kill him. Verse 31, So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. It's interesting to note here, and I've noted this the last couple of weeks, that these high priests and these scribes, these guys who have their power threatened by Jesus, are the ones that are making the most noise at his feet, and they're the ones that are most humanly responsible for him being there in this case, uh, thinking that they're, they're, they're winning, that they're doing what they've accomplished to do, but ultimately what they're, they're doing and they're thinking that they're winning is, is providing the world with the greatest moment in history. Uh, by killing Jesus, they're actually setting up his kingdom, mocking him, deriding him, Scripture says, uh, is, is really bringing about this greatest event in human history. Verse 33, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Amazing. This is middle of the afternoon stuff that's happening, and, and darkness overcame the land. The power that had to be there, and he's not dead yet. There's got to be understanding what in the world is happening here. It's supposed to be bright and sunny, and it's supposed to be middle of the afternoon, and yet there's darkness filling the land. Then about the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to stop and spend a little bit of time here. Uh, these words here, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini, are the only words that Mark records that Jesus writes. The other three Gospels talk about a conversation that he had with John and his mother that said, this is your mother and mother, this is your son. And, and he had another conversation with some women along the, the way saying, don't cry for me, I weep for you. And he had a conversation with the robber uh, that he, he said, today I'll be with you in paradise. But these are the only words that Mark records here. And I, I think to myself, why? Why does he do this? And it's, in my mind, there's the, the depth that, that Mark is trying to, to plumb here is, is that this is, this is deep theology that's here. Um, I want to read Isaiah 59 too. If, if Jesus, if, if these words are important, that Jesus were to become sin on our behalf, it talks about that in 1 Corinthians, 
that Jesus has become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So if, if this redemption plan of God from the beginning of time is to happen, then Jesus has to become sin on our behalf. So God has truly forsaken him. In the midst of this moment, sin, our sin, your sin, the sins of past are now upon Jesus Christ. And if Isaiah 59, 2 is true, this is the path that's happening. But your iniquities, yours and mine, and all the iniquities of the past, have made separation between you and your God. We are now separate from God when sin is upon us. And if the sin of the world, and it talks throughout all of the, the New Testament that Jesus came up, our sin was upon him so that we might have his righteousness and he might have our sin and he might defeat it so that we might become the righteousness of God, here it is, upon him. They have brought separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Mark's, these four simple words that he, that he uses here, Eloi, Lima, Sabachtini, is, are, are the, the depth of here is, I'm teaching you theology. I'm not going to be worried about him talking to John and Mary. I'm not going to be worried about him talking to the women on the way. I'm not going to be worried about him talking to the other crucified robber. I'm going to teach you theology. Sin is upon him. And, and that, we'll get to the, the, the depth of, of that severe theology as we get into this priesthood of all believers that we'll talk about uh, here in just a minute. Verse 35, let's keep going. And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the most important verse in the passage. I want to go on and read verse 39 and then come back to 38. And when the centurion who stood facing him, saw that, this, that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Verse 38 is the most important verse here, and we're going to spend the rest of our time digging in through the results of this one simple verse. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I want to give you guys a little bit of history about what this, this curtain was he's talking about. Uh, passage we'll get to in a second in Hebrews lays it out a little more specifically for us, but ultimately in the temple is the, the holy place. And on one end of the holy place is this curtain, and on the other side of the curtain is the holy of holies. Only the priests were allowed to go into the holy place, only the high priest, so one man alive in the world could walk into this room beyond this curtain, the holy of holies. And that was where the presence of God was said to have have been. Now this, uh, this curtain was, uh, there's, you might have heard of an of a ancient Jewish historian named Josephus. A lot of our extra biblical, when I say extra biblical, I mean stuff that we learn from around the time of scripture, outside of scripture. So this doesn't, Josephus didn't write scripture, but he was a historian around the time that scripture was being written. Extra biblical. Uh, he says this uh, about this curtain, that it was four inches thick. Think about that. It's four inches thick. This carpet here is, you know, a quarter of an inch thick. This is less than a quarter of an inch thick. The curtain that we're talking about being torn from top to bottom, four inches thick. 
and 60 feet high. They believed that the, the temple under, in this age, uh, Solomon's temple wasn't quite as big as this temple. This one is, was a temple that was built by Herod, and it's 60 feet high. So we've got this 60-foot high curtain that's four inches thick. And before they placed this curtain in this temple, what they did was they, they attached each side of this curtain to a team of horses and had the horses run in different directions so that they could test the structural integrity of this curtain. And horses couldn't tear this thing apart. Four inches thick curtain that horses can't tear apart is now spontaneously torn from top to bottom. This is a supernatural event that takes place. But it's more than just a supernatural event. I want to spend the rest of our time understanding what the symbolism was and more than just was, is for us in February of 2010, the symbolism that we get to own and hold. Uh, And it is the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And as we go on, we've talked already tonight, Dave and I both have, that in the, the next couple of weeks, we'll be spending time digging deep into doctrine, into theology of what the cross and all that it is means to us. And the first thing that we'll talk about is this doctrine, the priesthood of all believers. Andrew Murray, uh, who wrote the book Humility that we studied as a church about a year ago, uh, awesome, fantastic author, uh, read all that you can from Andrew Murray. He says this, the, that he defines this doctrine and by saying the right to dwell in the presence of God. The priesthood of all believers is the right to dwell in the presence of God. Before this time, before this curtain was torn, the only one, and, and again, the Holy of Holies is the place where the, the presence of God dwells. There was only one human being who had the right to go in there. Now, because of the death of Jesus, because our sin was upon him, because he became the righteousness, we become the righteousness of God in him, we get to enter into this Holy of Holies. We get to be priests. We get to be where only one man got to go because of this great high priest. And we'll get some, some biblical foundation in Hebrews from this in a second. Andrew Murray continues, and by the way, these quotes are, are in the bulletin that you were given earlier tonight. Uh, the precious blood of Christ has opened the way for the believer into God's presence. And, and here, Listen to this next phrase. An intercourse with him is a deep spiritual reality. Let's move past and and go deep into the the real meaning of this word intercourse. We get to, to engage our God in a communal, enjoying, experiencing one another. Something that that the people of the Old Testament didn't have the privilege of. We get, because of the finished work of the cross, we get to experience and and have this this deep spiritual reality of of communion with God. And I've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks. We talk about this word community. That comes up a lot in a church like ours where we want to build this sort of community. We want to affect the community and and we, we take communion every week. But I, I want to get past our preconceived notions of what we think communion means. And what we think community means. When we commune with God, when we take communion, we'll get a chance tonight to break off that loaf and, and dip it into the bowl and, and partake of it. That's 
communion. We get to partake of God. And it's the result of this symbolic curtain being torn. The result of Christ's death on the cross is now we, every one of us, gets to come into the presence of God and commune with Him. I'm, uh, I go to a, I haven't been in a couple of years, but all growing up and probably until the last two years, I've been every summer to a family reunion. And uh, it's a very Christian family. And so uh, there's every year we get together and before we eat, we pray. Uh, and there was one guy that prayed forever. And then when I became a youth minister, it was like, oh, now we got somebody who can pray for us. And, and every year I kept thinking to myself, someday they're going to hand me, I mean, there's like two or 300 people there. So they, there's a little microphone and they hand me the microphone and I'm supposed to pray before we all go eat our, uh, our fried chicken. And I want to just stop and, and preach a little bit of this sermon because you don't, you don't have to be a pastor to get to be the one to pray. One of, the, one of my pet peeves, whenever I'm with a group of people, the first person they look to pray is, where, is there a pastor in the room? We're going to ask him to pray. I have no more privilege or right to stand before God than anyone who is called on the name of the Lord. And that's the depth of what the priesthood of all believers means. Martin Luther said this, We are all priests as long as we are Christian. One of the, this understanding of this notion, the priesthood of all believers, is one of the motivating factors for the Reformation. Because the priest in this day, the Catholic priest in Martin Luther's day, were lording their priesthood over the people. If you want to get to God, you've got to come through me. And we know, John 14, 6, the only way to God is Jesus Christ. And this fact that we just read about in Mark 15 is Jesus lining the way, paving the way for us to get to God. And we are all priests as long as we are Christian is, is the beauty of what Martin Luther said. Peter also speaks of this doctrine in his, uh, in First Peter, First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race. He's talking to Christians. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Peter calls you a royal priesthood. There's royalty in you. There is priesthood in you, and it's there's beauty and awesome depth there. You are a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who calls you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I want to, in the midst of of this message, I want to just stop and look at this image of Jesus that Mark has just painted for us. All that I've just said about priesthood of believers, all that Andrew Murray has said, and all that Martin Luther has said, and all that Peter has just said to us, is true because of this Dead and resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, let's dig into Hebrews and see some biblical foundation for the stuff that I'm talking about. Hebrews 9.1. It's going to be on the screen. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. That is, the people in the Old Testament, the earthly place of holiness was the place where God dwelt inside this holy of holies. That's what he's talking about. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table of the bread of presence is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. That's what I was talking about. The holy place where all priests can go. The most holy place where only the single high priest can go. 
And in there, there was a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in great detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, the priest, all priests, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only a high priest goes. And he, but once a year. Do you see that? One guy gets to go one time a year into the presence of God. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. He would go into the holy place, kill the goat, and then bring the blood with him to forgive his own sins and then the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. Skip down to verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and then through the greater and more perfect tent, the greater and more perfect tent is a direct connotation to Jesus himself, his fleshly body. Let me read that again. Think about the tent where the Holy of Holies was that they were talking about, and then later on when Solomon built the temple, and then later on now when Herod built the temple, the the one that we saw the curtain torn, used to be a tent back in the early days before Solomon built the temple. Now, Jesus is that tent that it's talking about. Then the greater, more perfect tent, specifically talking about Jesus, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. The tent, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple, all made by human hands. Jesus, not made by human hands. Verse 12, And he entered once for all. We're going to hear that phrase a lot, and there's so much depth in that 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 sentence once and for all Jesus came one time and one time only didn't need to be done again Hebrews is spelling it out and into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats or calves this is what the sacrificial system was before was there was goats and calves and other perfect things that came to that the priest would kill in Offer their blood. And into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Once for all, eternal redemption. These are big, huge, budding with theology, budding with, with doctrine phrases that we have to come to grips with. And, and I'll, I'll get to the ramifications of these things as we continue on tonight. But understand this, Jesus is here the more perfect tent. All of the Old Testament, all, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to this event of Jesus Christ dead on the cross. The more perfect Moses, the more perfect Noah, the more perfect tent, the more perfect temple. All of this, Jesus is personifying perfection here. The Day of Atonement happened every year performed by one guy to forgive the sins of all the people for that year. Here, once and for all, it happens for all eternity. Eternal redemption, once for all. Massively important phrases. So, go back a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 7, and we see Jesus as the great and final high priest. Starting in verse 23, Hebrews 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, meaning... When a high priest died, we had to have a new high priest. When that high priest died, we had to have a new high priest. But Jesus 
is eternal. We see that in verse 24. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Stop and just so many phrases in these in Hebrews that are just pregnant with, with deep theology and doctrine. Jesus, because of his eternal nature, saves to the uttermost. We sing songs and we talk about how there is no sin that Christ didn't die for. There's nothing so big, so great that God couldn't forgive us for. The depth of this phrase, save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you realize that at this moment, and at this moment, and at this moment, every moment ever, for the, and until God comes back, Jesus is next to the Father making intercession for you. So much, you can chase that rabbit hole forever. There's so much depth of theology that's there that, that we embrace communion with God because of the beauty of, of these little phrases. He always lives to make intercession for us. He is eternal forever there. It has to put a smile on your face and a, a sigh to come from you and, and to lay aside the stress of this life, the difficulty. I, I left my... Mia is, is in the hospital because she couldn't keep food down. I, 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 left, I can lay the pressures of this life aside. Uh, Danielle, who's with the, the kids tonight, her, her boss's son died in a, in a tragic accident this week. I know of tragedy that's, that's a couple of generations removed from, from many of us. We can take comfort in a world where tragedy happens, that there is a God who sent His Son, Jesus, to die on our behalf so we can come into the presence of God. And the tragedy of this world has to shrink in light of the, the beauty and sheer satisfaction of the wrath of God so that we can come into His presence. The veil, the curtain is torn once for all. We are saved to the uttermost. We have eternal redemption. Jesus is always making intercession on our behalf. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It has to put a smile on our face. If it doesn't, you don't understand it and keep studying it. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. This is the one who died for us to bring us all of this. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. Before the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, he had to kill a goat, sprinkle the blood so that he could be cleansed from his sin so he could enter into the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. Jesus had no need to do that because he was perfect to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. There's that phrase again, once for all. Verse 28, For the law 
appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Pre-Christ, Old Testament, the law was using men in their weakness to perform a duty that they couldn't provide for themselves. They had to kill a goat. Now, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. There is beauty and depth in that. Lastly, the result of the work of the great and final high priest. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. All the stuff we've talked about is the result of, comes the verse 39. We now have confidence to enter into the holy of holies. Do you understand that? If, if there was a temple today and the holy of holies was there, we would all have the right and privilege and confidence to walk into that place. Filled with sin as we are because Christ has killed it. Doesn't exist. God has separated it from us. We have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Other gospels talk about the spear going in the side of Jesus and blood and water flowed. It's that blood that allows us to enter into the presence of God. It allows us to partake of communion. That allows us to commune in, in such a beautiful way that words like Andrew Murray uses, we have intercourse with God. And get your mind past where it wants to go with that word and understand the, the depth of, of this relationship that we have with God as a result of this death of Jesus. And isn't it beautiful that God uses death to bring us life? Verse 20, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the great and final high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Man, there's so much. Let's read that verse again. Let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. There will, if, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you, you've trusted in Him as your Savior, there will never, ever, ever be a time where you can't confidently approach God the Father. The stress in life of this planet has to fade. If we could live in the beauty of that. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Write that on a post-it note. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your steering wheel. Understand the beauty of 
the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? First, you have access to God. Some of you have heard this story before. I'm going to say it again because it captures what I'm saying perfectly. Uh, back when, when Jeff was in college, he would stay at our house and um, take care of our dog. And we would a lot of times have to go out of town quickly and just say, we'd call Jeff, hey, you got a key. We, we made him a key so he could come and, and go. And, and we got to go. Can you take care of Holly for, for the next three days? Sure, no problem. So uh, he was a, a huge Phoenix Suns fan at this time. And they were in the middle of a playoff series. And because they're in Phoenix, they play on the West Coast, which means their game started like 9.30 St. Louis time. And Jeff was working, delivering pizza at this time, so he'd get off work about midnight or so. And he'd say, hey, man, can I, you mind TiVo and the, the Suns game for me tonight, and I'll come watch it after work. Uh, sure, no problem. You got a key, let yourself in. Jen and I will be in bed. And he knows that our kids sleep right near the TV, but they, it's crazy. Like last night, we're, we're driving home. Mia's been throwing up. All night home, we're driving from Joplin. She's been throwing up, and finally she's sleeping. And then, like, we're a half hour out, and then Cooper decides to start throwing up. And here's what. Jen is here, Mia's here, and Cooper's here in the backseat of, of the Saturn. Say a prayer for Jen. She drove home, like, five hours of in a close, compacted, vomit-filled backseat of my Saturn. Yeah, um, glorious night that was. So Mia has finally gone to sleep, and now Cooper throws up. And Jen is, like, leaning over Mia, like, cleaning up this vomit. And Cooper's, like, wailing, crying. And Mia, here's Mia. My kids will sleep through anything. Uh, so, back to the, the Phoenix Suns story and Jeff. Uh, we, don't worry about it, Jeff. Go ahead, watch, watch the Suns play. No problem. You won't, you won't keep us up. Don't worry about it. So, Jeff goes and watches the game. And he's, it's like, a really exciting, like, double overtime game, something like that. He's really quiet and doesn't, he's, like, he doesn't, Jeff, normally he's watching the Suns. He's, yeah, like, really loud. But he doesn't do any of that because he's afraid that he has uh, overstepped his invitation to come and watch this game at our house. Uh, so he, he spent that whole day excited about it but worried about whether or not he was, he was woke, woke us up or not. Next night, same deal. Uh, he calls us, can you T-ball the game? I'm going to come watch it again. Um, I'd like to, to watch the game if it's, if it's okay. He gets off work at midnight. We T-bow the game. And uh, talking with Jeff later, here's what happened with him that day. He was really worried that he had kept Jen and I up or maybe woken one of the babies up. Or he was just worried that he was overstepping his bounds. So he didn't even come and, and watch the game that next night. So he was just confused the whole time whether he should come, whether he shouldn't come, whatever. But ultimately, the next day, he was telling me the story about how he didn't come and watch the game, the second game. Like, why not? He said, well, I didn't really want to overset my bounds. I really didn't want to, you know, put you guys out. I didn't want to wake up your kid. I didn't want you guys to get a good night's sleep and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't understand. I have invited you to come into my life, into my house, enjoy the benefits of your friendship with me. He spent the first night watching the game not enjoying the fullness of the game. He was quiet. He was demure. He didn't want to participate in the game. The next day, he spent the whole day worried about how he had offended me or how he had, had, had prob- I had a problem with him or he, he had 
put me out or, or made it hard on me, and he didn't even enjoy the game at all. And I want to say this priesthood of all believers is the picture of that. So many times we don't experience the beauty of what it means to be friends with God because we're afraid of what we're doing to him or, or putting him out or all that nonsense. Once for all, Jesus died. We have eternal redemption forever and ever. We can come into the presence of God. We have access to God all the time, consistently, forever. That is why this is important. In the midst of our sin, there is no greater time to come into the presence of God because he has paid for it. Second thing, why this is important, your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. Let just the, all of that just wash over your brain. Think on that phrase. Your sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven. The difficulties of this life have, have to pale in light of the depth of this. This is what we receive with the cross. I want to read and I want to show you the Andrew Murray quote again as we close. The precious blood of Christ has opened the way for the believer into God's presence and intercourse with him fellowship, communion, relationship with Him is a deep and spiritual reality. Let that just saturate your spirit. Let's pray. God, you are holy. You are holy. God, my mind, even in this moment, has a hard time grasping that you are holy and I am intimately acquainted with my sin. I know that you can't be in the presence of sin, Father, yet you call me into your presence. A holy God desires relationship with me. God, I trust you and I trust your word. When it says that you made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. I trust you when your word says, I am holy and blameless in your sight. I trust you when you say, that I have access to you.
trust you when you say the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be with us now in these moments and as we leave that we would live lives operating in that strong truth, God. That we would live lives of worship because we don't deserve to be in your presence, but you give us what we don't deserve. And you give us what we can't attain for ourselves, your precious and amazing grace. I thank you for Scripture that we get to see and experience this, God. Be with us now as we respond to you that we might commune with you, God. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.